0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. My two-year-old has a lot of opinions, but the one we currently find most endearing is that his insistence that every meal, snack, and cup of milk is deserving of a prayer. Ooh, say prayers, say prayers, he declares from the back seat, the kitchen counter, or the dining room table. Most meals, it happens at least twice over the course of consuming our food. In the time or two I've attempted to explain that we've already thanked God for the food, I've managed to stop myself because I think he has a lot more to teach me than I do him. I sense he's reacting to a very simple association that has nothing to do with duty but with joy. Now, developmentally, I realize this is a milestone that has everything to do with the way he is learning through song and very little to do with the content of the prayer we sing or any hint of his mother's influence as a priest. Regardless, I hope it is a memory I can hold on to. His disruptive declaration that every goldfish, banana, and bite of salmon is worth singing to God captures what we could all stand to remember. Everything we have is a gift from God. This morning's gospel is an exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus that Matthew describes as a plot for entrapment. The identity of the Pharisees matters much less than the reality of this very human instinct to point out when something is lacking in a person, a cause, or a viewpoint to which one is opposed. They were on a quest to showcase the ways in which what Jesus was offering was not enough. In this particular exchange, they seemed to be seeking to demonstrate how Jesus could not fulfill the worldly needs of his followers. They suggest that Jesus' vision was not enough to sustain them, and they would force him to admit it. The problem with this quest for enough is that it sets up a false choice between Christian currency and worldly currency, money that you and I spend every day can only be used to purchase things or exchange goods That are finite christian currency on the other hand is that which deals in the realm of forever and the two are not interchangeable more specifically there are not more christian or less christian ways to spend dollars which may be why the church has failed to adequately influence our relationship to money there is one framework that sufficiently recalibrates our relationship to all of our resources. And it is the topic to which Jesus refers most frequently in the Gospels. It is the difference between what we might call spending and investing. The Reverend Sam Wells explains it like this. Spend is the verb that offers a sense of power, a sense of executive control that can make things happen to acquire possessions by dispensing money. But that's not what happens. What people actually do is invest money. Every act that we call spending is in fact taking a risk that that bar of chocolate will make us happy, that this newspaper will keep us informed and entertained, that this car will be more worth than it is trouble, that this house will be a comfort and not a millstone. If we use the word spend, we hide the reality of that risk. But if we replace spend with invest, then we recognize we cannot control the outcomes of our risky ventures and we broaden our imaginations to consider what really lasts forever. And that leads us to God, because God is more or less synonymous with forever. The most basic understanding of God would be that which lasts forever. He continues, the law of exchange, where one person has goods and services and another person buys them, only works for transitory things. When we're dealing with forever, we need to revert to another system. And the name of that system is gift. The more you transfer resources from the market economy to the gift economy, the more you're starting to enter eternal life. It's not about duty. It's about joy. Every time Jesus mentions money in the Gospels, he seeks to reframe our understanding of currency from that of the market economy to that of the gift economy. If spending is a fallacy because all transactions are truly investments, making each of us investors, as the Reverend Wells suggests, the question then becomes why wouldn't we invest in that which lasts forever? I think the hardest part about this reality for me to swallow every time is that my money cannot technically buy that which lasts forever. I cannot buy love or peace or contentment. The currency of the gift economy that God offers and that Jesus makes real in the flesh is that of relationship. With Jesus, scarcity is transformed into abundance. Abundance is relocated into relationships, relationships with the disciples, with those who are lost, with those who are suffering, those on the margin of society, making it clear that the reach of God's presence and mercy knows no bounds. Relationships are the currency that matter in the realm of forever. The question then becomes, how do we invest in God and one another? When we reset our framework to that of the gift economy, the church becomes the location where those gifts and forever meet. The church is the countercultural intersection of God and the world where it's all about relationships. The church is the place where your investments seek to go beyond the temporal to the eternal, the church is the place where your investments actively proclaim the kingdom of God. This morning, as we mark the beginning of our annual giving campaign, I want you to challenge. You, I want to challenge you to set aside your societal re- frame of reference with the words "spend" and "invest," and consider a reframe. To simply think of your resources as something to be spent devalues your fundamental worth. Investment is the currency of God's economy of which we are all a part. And every investment you make is an opportunity to strengthen your commitment to God and to the kingdom. This year, our stewardship focus is remembering and becoming one. It is an invitation to reflect on the ways in which we are constantly becoming one body, one church, and one community. And perhaps, if I'm being honest, it is a much-needed and deeply countercultural message. The ways in which we divide ourselves in today's world are many and catastrophic. To declare your commitment with money, of all currencies, to a community that strives to find unity in God, is to make clear that you stand for something different. It is a way of investing in a deep and abiding reality that God's economy has more to offer than the wisest investments that we can otherwise find. To invest in a church, of all places, is to make known that for you, this commitment goes beyond duty to a sense of joy, perhaps somewhat like the joy of a two-year-old who cannot help to delight but sing praise to God, no matter the occasion. The invitation before you this morning comes with the knowledge that God found each of you worthy of the most precious investment of all, his son, so that you might know that without a doubt that God is invested in you forever. Amen.